Good morning. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. So glad to have you all with us here, whether you're uh, in person or watching online or upstairs in our modern worship service. We welcome you. Thank you that we're able to join together in worship today. We are in the Christian season of Lent, which is the six-week period that uh, goes into Easter Sunday. And it's a great time in the Christian year for us to stop and just really examine our relationship with God. How is it with your soul? And our focus for this season of Lent is going to be on a study by a Christian pastor, a very spiritual guy named Richard Rohr, who has a theory. And he has a theory that our culture is drowning in addictions, that all of us are addicted to something. Some of us are addicted to alcohol, some of us are addicted to gambling, some of us are addicted to work, some of us are addicted to our own egos and have control and power issues. But that underneath all of that is an addiction to sin. Right, what the Bible says, missing the mark of where God wants us to be. And so there are things in our lives that are preventing us from living a life that is full. And so the concept is, how do we learn how to swim and breathe underwater and all of these addictions that are drowning our culture? And Father Rohr says that he has a theory that uh, like a 12-step program that helps like alcoholics beat alcohol and become sober, right, that those 12 steps are really 12 biblical steps. And if we pay attention to those in our own lives and we follow this with God in the center, that it will help us all defeat the things that we are addicted to. So how do we learn to breathe underwater? Well, last week we kind of kicked this off and I want to just remind you the, the first two steps that we talked about taking as we're fighting the addictions in our lives. And the first is that we basically, we admit we're powerless over what it is that we are addicted to. Right? We admitted we were powerless to alcohol, uh, to gambling, to our egos, to control, to lust, to greed, shopping, whatever it is, and that our lives had become unmanageable. We can't defeat these addictions without some help. And so the second step is that we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. We can't do it on our own. Right? There's things in our life that are preventing us from living a life that is full, and we just can't beat them on our own. And so we need some help, and we believe here that our help is in Jesus, right? the Lord of the universe, our Savior. And so that's kind of where we left things last week. And so we're going to keep going today. What is it in your life that's preventing you from living a life that is full? What are you addicted to that you might need some help from? Well, today, I want to start off just by uh, telling you that in my entire ministry, I've been grateful to have a, a peer group, a covenant group of other clergy. There's four of us that have been together for 25 years. Right, these are my brothers in Christ. Uh, there's four of us, and we're in this covenant group for the last 25 years, and we've been through the ups and downs of life all the great things that happen in life together, all the terrible things that have happened. We've been through the ups and downs of ministry, and in all that, we've also had a lot of fun. When we were younger, we would play football together and basketball together, even paintball together. And uh, in the midst of that, you might not be surprised that even clergy get competitive, right? And in, in these competitions, there's no mercy given and there's no surrender, right? You have, to, you have to win at all costs, even among clergy having fun playing football and basketball. I guess the closest thing that we've seen to surrender might be in paintball. Uh, when one of the guys, when you get hit with a paintball, you're out, but the rest of us kept shooting him with the paintballs. And he started screaming, I am out! Followed by a few words that weren't pastoral. And he quit shooting me, right? That's the closest we got to surrender. But in our lives, I think that's kind of uh, an example of our culture in America, in the world, that in our everyday lives, right? At work or at school or in relationships, 
it's hard for us to surrender, right? We always want to be right. We always want to win. It's hard to give people mercy, even those who are closest to us. And it's hard to surrender because it, it shows that we're weak. It's a sign of weakness. It's even almost close to feeling like part of us is, is dying a little bit. In your life, where are you stubborn? And where do you refuse to surrender? I think that is part of the addiction that we have. We're not able to surrender to something to help us with these addictions. Right? So what are you addicted to? What's it hard to surrender to? And it's going to make this next passage of Scripture that we're going to read today hard to understand. When we're so addicted to, to not surrendering, it makes it hard to read what we're getting ready to read about Jesus. Let's check this out together. In Mark's Gospel, this is a story of Jesus, and uh, let's see what Jesus has to teach us. Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, to follow Jesus, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For If we keep going, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow after me, you must deny yourself and carry the cross. Right? What Jesus is ultimately saying is that we must surrender ourselves to him. Right? If we want to follow Jesus, we must surrender our will, our desire, the way that we want to do things to Jesus. Right? And that's hard, isn't it? It's hard. But it's a decision that we have to make. Right? We're in a traditional service here, and many of you might know the, the good hymn uh, that we sing, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. You remember that song? I Have Decided to Follow Jesus, No Turning Back, No Turning Back. Right? Following Jesus is a conscious decision, and it's not a one-time thing. It's a decision that we have to make every day of our lives. But it's hard to surrender our will, what we want to do, to God to say, God, what do you want me to do in my life and in this situation? Have you ever been around a two-year-old child? Right, maybe your own children, maybe a grandchild, maybe a niece or nephew, maybe a child in our, our church ministry here in Explorers. Children at two are awesome. They're great to be around, right? They can be terrific, terrific twos. Right? But there's also a label for children at age two. You know what that is? Terrible twos. You know why they call it terrible twos? Because they really are defiant, right? I don't want to do that. I want it this way. I want it that way. And if they don't get their way, what do they do? They cry, they scream, they tantrum, they pout, right? right? Early on in human existence, there's just something about human that we want our own way, and we don't want to surrender that to God. So it's hard to be a disciple of Jesus to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus is a hard thing to do. Right? We see it as early as two. We sure see it in the teenage years, trust me. And we also see it for the rest of our lives. But do we want to follow Jesus? Right? It's the decision that we have to make for the rest of our lives. And Richard Rohr says it's even hard for people who go to church to do this, right? Followers of Jesus, it's hard for us to continue every day of our lives saying, I will surrender my entire will to you, God. It, it remains a hard thing for even us 
who follow Jesus to do. It's a challenging thing even for the people in church. And so what we end up doing is we give Jesus part of ourselves but not all of ourselves. We just sang a hymn, right? I surrender all to Jesus. That was beautiful. Dr. Katie Ann played it well. Karen sang it well. You guys sang it really well. But in reality, for most of us, it's not I surrender all, it's I surrender some, right? I surrender some to Jesus. I'll give you this part of my life, Jesus, but I'm not going to give you this part, right? I'll do this for you, Jesus, but I'm not going to do that. I'll sacrifice this, but I'm not going to sacrifice everything because we want to be in control. We know what's best for us, right? We have egos. A lot of us are addicted to our own egos. We're addicted to getting our way, and so it's hard for us to surrender all to Jesus. Do you remember in the New Testament, the religious leaders that Jesus was always butting heads against the, the Pharisees? Um, they, they're kind of like some of us today. They, they they want to serve God, but they also want to be kind of in control. Now, the Pharisees, they followed all the religious laws of their day, right? They did everything. They did all the right things, but usually they did it for the wrong reasons. They, they wanted to feel superior to other people. I'm such a good follower of Jesus. Look at all the things that I do, and look at all the rest of the people in the world. They don't do the things, things that I do, right? For the Pharisees, it was about power and prestige and to say oh they have such strong willpower they're able to do all these great things for God but their hearts were not in that and so Jesus butted heads against the Pharisees I want to read you a scripture lesson from Paul today as he's writing to uh, the church in Corinth which is pretty much where Greece is today this is in the first century and this is what Paul says this is from the famous passage on love in first Corinthians 13 and Paul says, if I give all that I possess to the poor, right? It's good to give money to the poor. Right? That, the Bible says that. If I give over my body to hardship that I may boast. If, if I suffer for Jesus, if I go to jail for Jesus, if, if people make fun of me, if I even get tortured for Jesus, right? These are good things that we would think about people. But do not have love, I gain nothing. Right? If we follow Jesus for the wrong reasons, that's, that's not what Jesus wants. He wants our hearts. He wants our full surrender, not just in part, but in whole, to say, God, not what I want, but what you want. It's so very hard to do, but that's what Jesus asks of us. And let's keep going with the scripture. This time we're going to stick with Mark's gospel. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Right? But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Right? Remember in the, in the first century, people who followed Jesus had to sacrifice animals and sacrifice money and sacrifice food. Right? He's like, I don't want that. Right? For us, that would be the equivalent of, I don't want you to worship me if your heart's not in the right place. I need mercy. Right? For I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Right? So the Pharisees are doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Where are we in our walk with God? Where are we with our relationship? Maybe, maybe a clue that we might be leaning a little towards the Pharisees is, is if we're feeling resentment. Right? We resent that people don't appreciate all that we're doing for God. Do you not know what I'm doing for God with my time? Do you not know what I'm doing for God with my money? Do you not know the sacrifices that I made? I'm not appreciated for that. If we're feeling that resentment, it's human but it might mean we might not be doing the discipleship thing for the right reasons. 
Or we have resentment that you're not sacrificing as much as I am. I'm a better Christian. I'm a better follower of Jesus. Where are we when it comes to being faithful disciples of following Jesus, surrendering not what we want, but what God wants? For most of us, I think one thing that we're addicted to, all of us is getting our own way. Are we ready to surrender to God? Because it's so countercultural. It's so countercultural. But the Bible and these 12 steps have really good news for us because it's not about our righteousness. It's not about us doing right to earn our way to God's love. Really, the focus is more on what's broken in us and that Jesus loves us anyway and that it's okay not to be righteous, right? That, that we're unrighteous, right? In the 12-step program, when someone stands up, they say what? I am Kyle and I'm an alcoholic, right? We just get it out there. It's okay to be broken. It's okay not to be perfect. It's okay to admit that we're not all the way there yet and God loves us anyway, right? We admit I'm a shopaholic, right? I, I have a gambling problem. I, I have control issues. I'm not able to, to, to let people in my life have control. I'm not able to let God have control of my life. It's okay because in our lives, we think it's all about us earning our way to God. But in the Bible, it reminds us it, it, it's God's grace that he loves us anyway. He forgives us. Nothing that we can do can earn us a spot in heaven. Nothing that we can do can earn a relationship with God. It's a gift to us. Right. So what? We've got a couple things again today as we think about these steps. Right. Step three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. That's exactly what we read with Jesus, right? That we turn our will over to God. Can we keep that up there, Grace? Let's go back. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. Now, that last phrase is very important, as we understood God. If we understand that God is merciful, then we can be honest with God and say, God... This is where I'm broken. This is where I need some help. I am going to surrender to you and do it your way. Right? If we understand God is merciful, it's easier to do this. Because right? I think a lot of us are scared that God's going to find out we're not perfect and he's not going to love us. But it's just the opposite. God knows we're not perfect and he loves us anyway. So we're able to surrender to God because we know that he's a merciful God. Right? Right, so the next step, next so what, this is step four. We made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. If God loves us no matter what, then it's okay for us to face the reality. These are the things that are going well in my life, and these are the things that are broken. These are the things that are holding me back from living a life that is full. These are the addictions that bind me. Right? For so many of us, we want to be perfect on the outside. We want to earn our way to God. But when we believe that God is merciful and loves us even when we're broken, then we can do the work of looking inside and saying, this is where I need some help. God, this is where I can't let go. And I need to be able to let this go in my life. Do we see God as merciful? Are we able to face reality for what it is, the good and the bad, and know that God loves us anyway because we are his children? And so we're able to do a moral inventory. So this is the hard part, right? This is where we start looking and making lists, right? These things are going well for me, but these are the things that I'm broken. This is where I'm broken. This is where I, I don't give God part of my life. This is the part that I don't give to God. 
I give God my heart, I don't give him my money. I give God my money, I don't give him my time, right? I don't give God my attention, right? What is it that we're holding back from God? And so how does this practically work? Do you guys know what shadow boxing is? Right? You've got these, these people that box, and uh, you get a big light on yourself, and you can kind of see your shadow, and it's kind of just an old boxing kind of trick. Uh, before I do my um, preaching on Sunday morning, I kind of go off in, in the corner by myself and kind of go through the sermon and in my head. And one of the ladies on our uh, audiovisual team, Melissa, is like, what you doing over there, Pastor Kyle? Shadow boxing? I'm like, no, I'm going over my sermon, right? You know, but, but uh, Richard Rohr says that's kind of like what we need to do when we take this moral inventory of ourselves. This is what he says. Shadow boxing or a searching and fearless moral inventory is for the sake of truth and humility and generosity of spirit. It's for our good, right? Not vengeance on ourselves or some kind of total victory over ourselves. It's hard to make a list of the things that are wrong in our lives. But it's not to punish us. It's to say, hey, I'm not perfect. These are the things I need to give over to God and God can help me with this, right? So it's kind of like we're... We're boxing against the, the darker side of ourselves, the shadow side of ourselves, right? Another quote from Richard Rohr. Let's keep going with that, Grayson. The goal is not the perfect avoidance of sin, but the struggle itself and the encounter and wisdom that comes from it, right? We're never going to be perfect. There's always going to be something in our life that's not going right, right? Even an alcoholic who's been sober for 30 years is going to say to you, I'm still an alcoholic and I still have to be on guard against drinking because it's something that I, in a moment I can, I can surrender to it and I'm right back where I started from 30 years ago. Right? When we follow Jesus, we ask him to be our Lord and Savior, he forgives us and we move from being a sinner to being saints right? in God's eyes. Right? There's something that happens to us, but for the rest of our lives there is still individual sin that sticks around and tempts us and so every day we have to be on guard against it. Just like an alcoholic who's been sober for 30 years has to be on guard against drinking one time. Even though we follow Jesus, we have power over sin, we've been forgiven. There's still things in our lives that try to lead us astray, and we have to be on guard against that. Right. Another quote from Richard Rohr, I think this is great. Seeing and naming our actual faults, like writing down where we're struggling, being honest with ourselves is probably not so much a gift for us, although it is a gift for us, as it is to those around us. We must try to make it easier for others to love us. So it's not just about us in a relationship with God, it's about our relationship to others. When I'm broken and there's something sinful in my life, it's not just hurting me and God, it's hurting my wife, my children, my church family, my friends. When there is sin, that we're addicted to and we're not dealing with or pretending's not there, it's causing a lot of hurt in the lives of other people. And so it's important for us to shadow box. It's important for us to make that moral inventory, to turn that over to God, to say, I need some help so that I can help the people in my life be better when I'm around them. Right? So it's not just us that's at stake. It's the people that we love and care about. If there's something broken in our life, we bring that brokenness with us into our relationships and we hurt the people of our lives, and that's the challenge. But when we're able to admit our weaknesses and to come forward with that, it's a great thing. Think about the people in your life. I'm sure you know people like I know, right, who are so full of themselves, they think their stuff doesn't stink, if you know what I mean, right? It's hard to be around someone like that. And to think about someone, though, who's humble, 
and is able to admit their mistakes and able to laugh at themselves, right? And able to say, please forgive me, right? Isn't that person more delightful to be around? Which type of person do you want to be in your life? Which type of person do you want to be? You remember the story of the prodigal son that Jesus told about the young boy who took his inheritance early? He blew it on wild living, on, you know, prostitutes and, and drinking alcohol, and then he was poor, and he decided he took an inventory of himself, right? He was forced to take an inventory. I've blown it. I've messed up. But he didn't keep the, 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 the ego and the arrogance going. He was humbled, and he went back to his dad and said, Dad, I, I messed up, and I'm sorry. I don't deserve to be your son, but could I work for you because I'm starving? Right? That humility, that brokenness, I can't do it on my own. It made him even more lovable. And what did his father do? He welcomed him back as a son. When we're humble like that, it helps us in our relationships with other people. And interestingly enough, another thing that helps us with that is that criticism and conflict and failure and defeat can help us. When we're defeated, when we mess up, when we get in a conflict, we have other people help us see the things that are broken in our lives. Because our shadow self doesn't want to admit that exists, right? Our ego doesn't want to admit that we have things in our lives that are broken. And so we wear masks. The word persona, right? We, we all have different personalities. We put masks on. We even lie to ourselves. We, everything's fine. I'm a great follower of Jesus. I'm a great husband. I'm a great father. I'm a great friend. And we, we don't want to see the dark side of ourselves. And so we face conflict and we face defeat. And when that stuff happens, we, we have nowhere else to hide. Right? We have to become aware. Why did I fail at this? Because there's something broken in me. Why is my spouse upset with me? Because there's something in my life that I'm blind to and I'm hurting that spouse right like Laura and I've been married for 18 years and some of the best growth in our relationship has come after we've had an argument right and and I've been able to see from her perspective how I was hurting her or hurting my family because I was blind to it right I'm not going to list those things for you today but you probably have your own list of Pastor Kyle things that you might want to tell me about but those moments are not fun but they're so important because God works in those ways to help us see things that we don't see, that we refuse to see. We're wearing the mask and we're hurting other people and we're refusing to admit that we're broken. But these conflicts and these defeats are ways for us to say, you can't hide anymore. This is a problem. And the gift of that is self-awareness. And it's a great, great gift that we have. A great, great gift. Another passage of scripture where Jesus talks about this, about helping us take the mask off, take the blinders off. You probably have heard this scripture, but let's think through it again. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? This is talking about judging people, right? We, we judge people all the time. Why do you look at the small speck in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank, there's the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or your sister, let me take the little teeny tiny speck out of your eye when all the time there's a huge plank or log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. 
Jesus says it's all about perspective. It's all about being blind. We're blind to our own mess, but we see the little things in other people's lives and we call them out on it. And Jesus says the greatest gift here is to have self-awareness. Look in your own eye first, right? Jesus is not saying, right, be moral because it's good or don't be immoral because it's bad. That's true. But he's saying the problem is we just don't even recognize what we're doing. And so he's asking us to take an honest look at where we're broken in our lives, to take a moral inventory. This is where things are going well in my life, and these are the, the areas where I need some help, and I can't do it by myself. That's why the Bible talks a lot about the image of a lamp, shining a lamp in the darkness. What do you keep in the darkness, brothers and sisters? What are you addicted to? What, what are you blind to that's hurting the people in your life right now that you refuse to see? And are you willing to open yourself up and say, Jesus, help me see this brokenness. I surrender it to you because I can't do it on my own. Jesus, help me see the log in my own eye. Another quote from Richard Rohr today. When we are in these conversations with God, good things happen. Somehow goodness is transferred by radiance, like shining of the sun, right? Reflection and resonance with another goodness more than by any act of self-achievement. Somehow goodness is transferred by radiance. Can you keep going to the next slide? What's the next? All right. It didn't make it. It's okay. Basically, his next quote is, we can't pull ourselves up. We have to have someone else pull us up. When we spend time in the presence of God, in the good presence of God, that rubs off on us. And we can't save ourselves. God has to pull us up. But we have to be willing to stick our arm up and say, help me, Lord. This is where I'm broken. This is where I'm hurting people. This is how I can't do it on my own. God, I surrender, right? We reach our arms up and say, God, I surrender to you. So again, today, so what? Just a reminder of our two steps. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God, right? God's merciful. He loves me. Even though I'm broken, he loves me anyway, right? He will accept me. And because he loves me no matter what, we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. We did the shadow boxing. We made the list. We did the work, right? We're not trying to fix it yet. Today, we're only listing the things where we're falling short. So a few things I invite you to think about this week to do about this, right? One, make the decision to surrender your will and life to Jesus, if you've not yet decided to follow Jesus, the God of the universe who loves you so much that he died on a cross and came back to life, make that decision. Right? We can't save ourselves. We can't beat these addictions by ourselves. We need help. Make the decision to follow Jesus. And maybe it's for the first time, or maybe you followed Jesus for a long time, but you have to make that decision again today. It's a decision we make every day of our lives to follow Jesus and to say, not what I want, Lord, but what you want. What are you holding back from God? What are you not giving to God? What are you not sacrificing to God? Make the decision to follow Jesus, right? And do some shadow boxing. Make the list. Hey, these things are going well in my life, but these things are not. And if that not list is short, 
ask some people who know you well and let them help you with that. Where could I be blind? What do I not know about myself? What am I hiding from myself? What are the things in my life that are broken that I can and cannot see? We're not trying to fix them today. Just make the list. Make the list. And then use the companion journal, right? Chapters three and four. It's very short, right? There's like a, a passage a day and Richard Rohr challenges us with some really good stuff. And then on page 36, I want you to wrestle with that because I don't know that I agree with what he says on page 36. I want you to read that and see what you think about that. So I can't, I don't have time to get into that today, but take the journal home, wrestle with that. So recently, my son Luke, who's 14, and I, uh, at night, at the end of the day, have been watching reruns of the cartoon that was in the 1990s, King of the Hill. Anybody know what that is? We got a picture of that. Can we show that, right? It's about Hank Hill. He's the adult. He lives in Arlen, Texas. And it's about him and his wife, Peggy, and his son, Bobby. Uh, it's a comedy, but there's some serious stuff in there. Um, Bobby, when he gets in trouble, Hank uses his, his southern Texas accent to say, dang it, Bobby. <laughs> so it's just really fun. It's really cute. Uh, and in that cartoon, I don't agree with everything in the cartoon, right? There's some raunchy stuff in there, and it's a good learning opportunity for me and Luke to talk about what's right, what's not right, right? Um, but we were watching that just this past week, and there was an episode where young Bobby, he's in middle school, which my son is in middle school. Uh, Bobby sneaks away to go to a party at one of his friend's house that his dad told him not to go to. And there's things going on at a party that you might imagine that young people shouldn't be doing and Bobby's there and at one point he and a girl that he kind of likes get shoved into a closet and the kids outside of that closet are chanting for them to do things that they know they shouldn't be doing together and Bobby's scared and he's worried and he wished that he hadn't been at that party but he doesn't know that Hank figured out where he was and drove right to the house, and right when Bobby's in the closet, he's getting forced to do something that he doesn't want to do, all of a sudden the door opens, and there his dad is. And his dad is dead. Hank is not, dang it, Bobby! And most kids would be like, oh my gosh, I'm embarrassed, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. But Bobby said, what took you so long? <laughs> he was relieved. He was doing something he knew was wrong and he felt bad about it. He didn't know how to get out of the situation. And there his merciful, loving father was. And it was a sweet surrender. When we talk about surrendering to Jesus, it's a sweet surrender. God, I just can't do it anymore. I'm so glad you're here. Can you help me with this that's breaking my life apart? How many of us today feel like Bobby locked in that closet, knowing we're doing something that's ruining our lives, and we just wish someone would open that door and save us? That's what Jesus does. May you encounter the sweet experience of surrendering to Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.